Hey, come here. Let me ask you a question real quick. Have you ever wondered why there were 24-hour kid cartoon networks? Have you ever felt the need to understand how the animated industry as we know it came to be? Well, in his book, The Best Saturdays of Our Lives, Mark McRae writes about how Saturday mornings became a competitive business and the proving grounds for what would become the 24-hour kid networks. His book covers the big bang of the 1960s explosion of high ratings to the early digital age of Saturday mornings and the last hurrah in the 1990s. So join me today as I have the honor, nay, the privilege of speaking with TV producing veteran, podcast host and author of the best Saturdays of our lives, Mr. Mark McRae. Welcome to Toon Lord Done Right, a podcast where I take a moment to give you a quick lesson on a film, TV show character, or concept in animation. You can call me Dave the Tutor, and I'll handle your lesson for today. If you like nerdy, blurdy, cartoon, anime, and pop culture stuff, both old and new, then you're in the right place. And since you're here, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at ToonLoreDR, and you can also support me on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash ToonLoreDR to become a part of the ToonLoreia study group and get your digital certificate for joining us. And while you're here, I want to give a shout out to all of the patrons who already support. They get extra content each month and get access to the Discord community. And today I have something really special for you guys. Today, I had the opportunity to speak with TV veteran and author of The Best Saturdays of Our Lives, Mark McRae. McRae is an award-winning television writer who has been in the broadcasting industry for over 20 years. He has a passion for animation, television programming strategy, and comic books. In his book, The Best Saturdays of Our Lives, McRae chronicles the origins of the competitive animated Saturday morning programming scene, And along with this, McCray hosts the Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast, along with his host, Dan Klink. During his career in television, he has been interviewed on Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal podcast, Drawn, the Story of Animation podcast, and was featured as a guest speaker at the SCAD Atlanta Animation Fest, giving historical views of the Saturday morning programming. Prior to his work as an author and as a podcaster, McRae was the Senior Manager of Programming Operations for Adult Swim, overseeing Adult Swim's on-air promotion and scheduling strategy. He also worked as a television programmer for Cartoon Network and was one of the key members of the team that launched the Boomerang Network. Here... On Toon Lord Dumb Right, we love to celebrate Black voices. So just before we hop into the interview, press pause on this podcast and hop on over to McRae's website, tbsool.com, and that's the abbreviations for the best Saturdays of our lives, and get a signed copy of his book. All right, you done? Got a copy of the book already? All right, cool. So let's get straight into it. (laughs) 
Mr. McCray, I am glad to have you here. Um, I know that you have had a dynamic career with one of your many crowning achievements being authoring your book, The Best Saturdays of Our Lives. So starting with that, what was the inspiration for writing this book? Okay, so The Best Saturdays of Our Lives book, um, well, before it was a book, it was a newsletter. And I used the newsletter to sort of get myself into the animation industry. Um, I had gotten a job in television, you know, as soon as I got out of college, but I really didn't like what I was doing. And so I left the TV job and I got a regular job. And although it paid a lot more than the television job did, the, the regular corporate job uh, paid really great. Um, there were no creative outlets. So I just, <laughs> realizing I made a mistake, <laughs> I wanted to go back into television, but I wanted to get back into television under my own terms. Uh, so what I did, um, I decided to create this newsletter and I, and I started to send the newsletter to everyone who worked in the kids' business, you know, uh, Cartoon Network, Disney Channel, DC and Marvel Comics, which during the time, we're talking the early 90s here, DC and Marvel was still sort of marketing their products to kids um, as opposed to adults. It's all an adult market, but back then it was more for kids. And I started to get some freelance jobs because in the newsletter, people liked what they were reading. So I accomplished my goal. I got into the kids industry, you know, working at Cartoon Network. And um, then in 2008, I had the opportunity to do some DVD commentary or Josie and the Pussycats. And the person from Warner Brothers who called me, uh, she called me as a favor to someone else who had recommended me. But after the short conversation with her, I realized that they weren't going to use me at all. It was like a courtesy call. And um, I thought about that lost opportunity. And I thought that if I had a book back in 2008, I could have definitely change the conversation you know um well check out my book check out my website check out my facebook likes all of that stuff could have definitely changed the direction and so after losing that i decided you know i've been talking about writing a book for years i have these newsletters five years of newsletters that i've been sitting on why not turn that into a book i said it'll be an easy book because it's already written <laughs> it was not an easy book. <laughs> but that was the spark to answer your question. Dope. Now, I know that in addition to your book, we have a podcast of the same name that dives into cartoon history. So how did that come to be? And what was the transition like for you? All right. Well, so um, I had gotten interviewed by a few people Um uh, you know, that had their own podcast. And one one group, one podcast team, they wanted me to work with them like on a semi-regular basis. But we didn't put anything in writing and it was nothing formal, you know. Um, and then um, I was at this convention called Treklanta. As you know, all things Star Trek. And I met um, a guy named Dan Klink. And near the end of the convention, I'm, I'm packing up all of my stuff. And, you know, he, um, he bought a copy of my book. 
And then I was invited to, to participate on a podcast called Nerd Bliss. And then afterwards, he said, hey, have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? I'm like, yeah, I've been thinking about doing it for a long time, but, you know, I don't have the resources. And Dan said, well, I have the resources. You have the knowledge. Why don't we just do this podcast? And it turned out to be a really good partnership because um, Dan not only had the resources and the equipment, but he knows a lot about Saturday morning television as well. And we sort of uh, fill in gaps. And what's really great about the podcast is some of the things that you're hearing are things that we figure out while we're recording. And it's just like, you know, we'll have these thoughts. I'm like, wait a minute, I just thought of something. And, uh, and that's what a good podcast partner or co-host is supposed to do. You know, we, we sort of inspire each other. And there are things that he can fill me in on, you know, since he's a kid of the 80s and I'm really a kid of the 60s and 70s, that 1980s, I think, was Saturday morning's greatest decade. But for me, during the time, I didn't particularly like a lot of the content. I just felt that, you know, producers weren't really trying to make anything new. But now that I have the podcast and looking back at a lot of those things with Dan, I feel like, oh, well, they were doing some pretty cool stuff in the 80s, you know. Don't get me wrong. Um, I'm not trying to discount the 80s at all. I mean, I have my favorites, you know. For me, it was the toy shows, He-Man's and G.I. Joe, uh, Jem, um, Thundercats. I loved a lot of that. The Smurfs, of course. I just really couldn't get into a lot of the Atari and Nintendo uh, cartoons of the 80s. But, I mean, those, those type of programs did really well and got really high ratings, you know. So they cannot be discounted. How did your years of experience in the industry allow you to better compile your newsletters into your book? I mean, it's, it's kind of a silly thing. You know, you just can't be like a, a, a knowledgeable person in the industry. You know, you almost, you have to have something to back you up for some reason. And that's just the way the game is played. So I took all these old newsletters and I compiled them into a book. And since the newsletters were written such a long time ago and I've learned so much about working in the industry, I decided to add like commentary to the original newsletters. Now, some of the newsletters chapters have commentary and some do not, but I just thought it was like something fun to do. Like for example, there is a Two Stupid Dogs a chapter in the book. And I mean, it was like a freaking a dream team working on that series back in the day. You know, a lot of animators um, who were starting out in their careers. I mean, uh, Craig McCracken worked on that series. And uh, Gendy Kodakowski, yes, he also worked on the series. Seth MacFarlane, who created Family Guy, worked on Two Stupid Dogs as well. The series was created by Donovan Cook, who was uh, a really comedic genius. I just love, love, love that series. And so... For that particular chapter, I had to talk about, well, here's all the other really incredible people that were working on the series, you know, during the 1990s and whose careers have literally blown up. And so that part of the book was, was a lot of fun. And then, you know, also uh, correcting uh, my mistakes as well. That's the commentary also served the purpose for that. Because, for example, the Power Rangers that came across 
an interview with Margaret Lesh, who ran Fox Kids. And in the Marvel book, she says, everyone thinks that Power Rangers was the number one series, but it was actually the X-Men series. So that became my commentary for the Power Rangers chapter. So in your podcast, you contrasted the budgets of an animation TV show from the 70s and 80s with how things are now. So for those people who have not yet listened to your podcast, um, could you tell us just in what ways are they different? Right. So, yeah. So first of all, there just wasn't a lot of uh, revenue and budgets for animation back in the day. I mean, the reason why there was limited animation in the first place was because it was um, the the networks really couldn't afford full animation. So the compromise turned out to be limited animation. And this way the networks can still generate revenue from the animation and the animation studios can stay in business and you know keep people employed. And, but the budgets were all over the place. There were so many type of budgets. And so if you were Hanna-Barbera producing the Flintstones, for example, you got close, pretty close to a full time, to a, you know, almost a full animation budget because the Flintstones aired in prime time. There are more eyeballs in prime time. Advertising rates, which pays for everything, is a lot, you know, um, larger in terms of, of, of revenue dollars. And so the networks could afford to give Hanna-Barbera a larger budget for the Flintstones because it was airing in prime. Or, and that same rule applied to like, Charlie Brown Christmas or the or um, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, a lot of those classic primetime animated specials, they got a little bit more of a budget, all right? Uh, Saturday morning budgets were sorta all over the place. Um, So like in my book, I mentioned in 1966, the going rate was 45,000 an episode for a Space Ghost episode, but not everyone got 45,000. For example, Filmation, who was just starting out. Sorry to interrupt this interview, but for those who don't know, Filmation was a dynamic animation studio, best known for their work on The New Adventures of Superman, Archie, the Fat Albert series, along with He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. If you want to know more about them, there's a cool mini-documentary on YouTube. We'll link it in the show notes. Okay, back to your regularly scheduled program. I believe they got somewhere between 36 and 38,000, you know, but they were a new company and no one had ever heard of them. And I guess the network wasn't as confident as to give them the full amount, or it could have been what whatever was left over after the network, you know, uh, purchased all of its programming. And then there was the syndicated budget. And so television, early syndicated television was pretty much the studios working uh, with executives to sell the sh- to sell the show station to station. Uh, so like the Marvel superhero show that came out in 1966, Marvel's first animated series, um, it, was, it was not on Saturday morning, it was sold independently to the stations. And um, a lot of the programming and financing, you know, had to be put up front then once the series sold, you know, all the investors would, you know, pretty much, you know, get their, their money back. Um, but like money had to be put up front first. 
And uh, uh, there was also the sponsored budget. So the sponsored budget was, you know, like Kellogg's, Frosted Flakes, or Kellogg's just being behind a particular So like Kellogg's could have sponsored uh, the Yogi Bear Show. And so when you had a sponsorship involved, they took care of most of the enemy. And that budget was sort of in between the primetime network budget, but a little higher than the Saturday morning budget. Okay, so what about pilots? We see how many artists now will just make their own stuff or sample their work. Um, and then when that work gets noticed, they get picked up for TV or streaming. So were pilots a viable option back then? Unless the network commissioned a pilot, pilots just were not made. They would they would not made. Um, Sid and Marty Croft, uh, who were the only live action players during that, you know, early Saturday morning era. They created a drop off and stuff in Land of the Lost. They created a pilot for Land of the Lost, but I still don't know the background for why that pilot was created, only to say that Sid and Marty Croft had a really great relationship with NBC and maybe they, they worked something out. Or maybe knowing how Sid and Marty Croft were back in the day, um, Maybe they financed it themselves. I feel like they did. Because when Sid and Marty Croft did their first live action series, HR Puff and stuff, they took 40% of their own revenue from other products. And they put that money, it's like about $40,000 that they put into that production, bring HR Puff and stuff up to the standard that they wanted. And that wasn't unusual either for companies to do that. So. Yeah, so like the, the budgets were, were all over the place um, back in the day. So both your book and your podcast cover a wide variety of information. So how do you compile the topics for your show? Yeah, so um, a lot of times how the topics get generated are things that a lot of times is things I, I might find out things about animation maybe through a Facebook page, you know, something that I didn't know. And if I find that the, the topic is interesting, you know, I'll run it by Dan. I said, you know what, we should talk about this. There was this conversation about uh, Hanna-Barbera had done their first theatrical called Hey There, It's Yogi Bear. And some of the original animators were talking about how fun it was to work on that project because um, they did something called three-fourth animation. And I said, oh my gosh, what is that? You know, so I emailed one of the guys and he goes, well, it was, you know, basically it's a combination of using full animation and limited animation or something like that. They referred to it as like three-fourth animation. And I had never heard that expression before. And so Dan and I feel like it's worthy of a topic then we'll talk about it. But a lot of a lot of the topics of things that I might want to talk about that I didn't talk about in my book are things that I find out after the fact that I think people should know about. Like uh, we have an upcoming episode of uh, actually it's already, it's already aired. It's called Batman versus Batman, and it's that it's the one year when you had Batman being animated by two separate animation studios on two separate networks same year all right and 
that would never happen today at all. But DC had relationships <laughs> with animation studios. Uh, so Filmation got to do the new adventures of Batman, uh, which which showed up in the in January or February of 1977. And then the all new Super Friends Hour premiered animated by Hanna-Barbera in the fall of 1977. Um, so you had these two separate productions that featured the character. And, you know, the rights had to be divvied up also because in the open of the new adventures of Batman, they, it features the Riddler, but the Riddler only shows up in the openings, not featured on the series at all, because Filmation found out later they didn't, didn't get the rights because Hanna-Barbera had the rights to the Riddler who was appearing <laughs> on the all new Super Friends. So that's a, that was a topic and I th that I thought that people should talk about, you know. Um, I mentioned that in my book as well, but um, it just, I wanted to sort of contrast the difference of how publishing companies would sort of parcel out rights to, um, television studios or animation studios, you know, there was there really wasn't any clear cut rules. Awesome. So what sort of topics do you have? You know, the animation industry is really weird. So like at times they have a tendency to split here. And so I'll give you an example of that. Uh, so the gentleman that created the characters for Scooby-Doo um, people will praise his character design. And Scooby-Doo sort of gets a pass, even though it's still limited animation. But other studios doing cartoons at the same time, whose animation was just as good as Scooby's, sort of gets, you know, negative reviews. And I'm like, okay, so because of a Disney dude created the characters for Scooby, you're not going to say anything bad about the animation. But because these other cartoons don't necessarily have a Disney pedigree, you're going to say terrible things, even though, like, it's all about the same, you know? So I might bring up a topic like, okay, let's talk about the haters in animation. Let's break it down. You know, because there's sort of this, this cognitive dissidence that happens in the animation industry. It's, it's like what I don't understand about and this is probably going to be an upcoming topic, so just give you some background. The thing that kind of frustrates me is that if you know something costs 45000 an episode to make, and you know that's going to be limited animation, and you know that the animation studio had no control over that budget, then why would you expect it to look and feel like a cartoon that was made for 200000 an episode? That is the part that drives me crazy. Going in, you already know that it's going to be limited animation. So why are the expectations still super high? I, I just don't get it. I don't understand. It's, it's like you've done the math already, you know? Because anytime I challenge some of the haters, no response at all. Okay, so that's super interesting. And it brings me to another question. So what were budgets like during the heyday of Saturday mornings? Is it similar to how things work today? Right. 
but but the bottom line was CBS was the number one kids network at the time for Saturday morning. So that meant that they could they could charge higher advertising rates. And when you charge higher advertising rates, you get uh, a, you can also get a larger budget for your animation. NBC was in last place and their advertising rates were not as high. And so they could not afford a cartoon that was 100,000 an episode. That just wasn't happening. But yet the studio got blamed for the animation when it was really out of their hands. And so when I explained that to them, like, well, here's how animation ratings were done. And to be fair, it's still done that way. So like even at Cartoon Network, you know, Cartoon Network makes its, its, its and all networks, they still generate fees through advertising. Advertising still pays the bills. You know, ratings information is important to the network and to advertisers. And based on whatever those ratings are, the networks can charge the advertising a certain fee. And that is what is going to generate revenue. And um, so like trying to explain to people who only know about animation and don't know like the business side of how that budget, that animation budget is generated, that's what I try to do. I don't try to like you know, respond in a very negative way. I just try to, you know, he will hear the facts. And uh, so sometimes the facts become the subject of a newsletter, you know, further expansion. So other than, you know, buying and reading your book, which, you know, of course, everybody should do, um, what advice would you give someone who wants to break into the animation industry, Where whether it would be something like, you know, writing a book, starting a podcast, you know, as an artist or something else altogether? Okay. Um, all right. If you, you know, as far as like an animation career goes, I would say to get, you know, to have as much online as possible, maybe on YouTube or maybe on your own website. Because, you know, it's a very competitive situation trying to get internships and trying to get in the door. Definitely should try to, you know, meet as many professionals as possible um, to get in. I know one of the things I know about SCAD is sort of like this machine where they'll reach out to someone at DreamWorks and reach out to someone at Blue Sky and say, hey, I got a great intern for you that's going to be out in your area, hire them, you know what I mean? But like, not everyone has those resources. And I just feel like, you know, use LinkedIn to connect with people and get advice. I mean, that's what I did. While I was writing that original newsletter back in the day, I wrote to everybody in the industry, you know, how they can help me and be more helpful. Uh, so I think that's one thing. Try to, you know, seek out advice from people first before you try to get a job. Um, you know, like develop relationships, definitely. Let them look over your work and maybe let them critique it, you know. Uh, but that's one way. Um, in terms of a podcast, uh, there's a lot of competition there as well. And so, you know, I feel like your podcast should have a particular slant. And so for the best Saturdays of our lives, we, you know, we like to talk about, you know, um, definitely Saturday morning programming, but we like to give a lot of context and insight to the programming, you know? So instead of us 
talking about the animation and what the budgets were, we like to talk about the strategy and maybe how CBS countered against ABC or, um, or how uh, 3D animation um, started, you know, becoming a thing that networks wanted to pay for that would hopefully give their cartoons uh, a bigger bounce in the rating, you know, just having some 3D elements in there. Uh, so it's, 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 it's trying to angle yourself a little bit differently than, say, the next part. Yeah, so that would be the advice I would give this. You know, I wish that I could keep you on here forever, but we are just about out of time. So let's, you know, let's just talk about you for a little bit. <laughs> I know that you're working on season two of the Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast, but what about you? Like, what is next for Mark McRae? Um, Well, um, you know, I recently left Adult Swim. I'm trying to right now figure out what my next thing's going to be. Ideally, I would want to get more into content creation. So I'm talking to a few companies about that. Um, I can't really say um, because we're in the early stages. But um, hopefully the next time, you know, somewhere down in the future, I could, uh, um, I will be a, uh, a person that help companies uh, develop their uh, content. So ideally that's that's the position I want to be in, you know um, and I'm and I'm looking mainly towards smaller companies that are, are starting out that are looking to get their foothold in the animation industry. you know um, I can help them have a voice you know if they have a set of characters that are great and developed already, I can go in and say, um, you know, maybe we need to make this character funnier, or maybe there needs to be a better uh, backstory for the entire project. You know, just like looking over what they're working with and just being able to evaluate what they have to make them make that company more successful. That's 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 my next dream. Well, Mark, it has been a true pleasure talking with you, and I'm sure that this won't be the last time. Okay, yeah, so if um, if you wanted to get a signed copy of my book, you can go to my website, which is the initials of my book, The Best That It Is of Our Lives, cbsool.com. You can purchase the book there and get a signed copy. And while you're there on my website looking around, you can also listen to a podcast there as well. Um, or you can go to SoundCloud and listen to it. Uh, so that's the best place to uh, purchase my book and to find me. And I'm also on Facebook. Um, I'm on Instagram, um, as well as uh, Twitter. So you can find me at all those places. Just to repeat, you can go to tbsool.com to buy a signed copy of The Best Saturdays of Our Lives. And of course, listen to his podcast of the same name. You can also find him on Twitter at MarkMCTBSOOL. So that is M-A-R-K-M-C-T-B-S-O-O-L. -O -O 
This has been Toon Lord Done Right, and I hope you enjoyed that interview. So don't forget to like, share, review, comment, and subscribe. I can't wait to see what new countries and people we can reach. Uh, remember, you can let me know what you think by following me on Instagram and Twitter at ToonLordDR. Also, become a Toon Laureate by joining us on Patreon. The patrons over there get to enjoy the Discord server, early access to episodes, and bonus content. So until the next time, I can give you the TLDR on a film, TV show, character, or concept in animation. It's been real. <laughs>